This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Richard Watts with you here, taking you through. As you've heard, Midsummer Festival is on at the moment. It's Melbourne's kind of queer arts and cultural festival. There's a range of works and exhibits on, uh, lots of performance, lots of visual art as well. We're going to talk about one of those visual art exhibitions now. Uh, Black Queer Futurism is an exhibition on at Black Dot Gallery in Saxon Street, Brunswick, opening from today and uh, running through until the 4th of February. And I've got one of the co-curators of the exhibition joining us in the studio now, Alec Reid. Alec, good morning. Good morning, Richard. Thanks for having me. Ah, thanks for coming in. Great <laughs> pleasure to have you in. So yes. the, the name of the exhibition, Black mm-hmm. Queer Futurism, yep. it kind of gives us a bit of a sense as to, uh, to what the exhibition is about and exploring and the artists, presumably, who have been curated into it as well. So, But tell us more. The black and queer makes yep. absolute sense to a lot of people, I'm sure. <laughs> the futurism element of it, though, what's, yeah. kind of that, what's the connection there? Um, it's kind of touching on speculative futurism. So um, I've been noticing, I think, uh, a lot of the trends coming up recently is sort of with all the turmoil that we have politically, sort of a look towards futurism and self-determination. And I realise that a lot of those narratives... Um, tend to either miss, except for what I've seen with Black Panther, the <laughs> Marvel movie coming up, is that a lot of those perspectives tend to miss some um, queerness or they tend to miss just blackness within, you know, projections of the future. So I thought this would be a fun way of sort of playing into that narrative but sort of, I guess, reclaiming it in a sense and seeing a future for people who are black and queer or Indigenous and queer. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, you're right, that the... the there, I mean, there has been a growing movement within kind of, say, speculative fiction where we, we are in the same way that more diverse voices, in other words, kind of non-white voices, yeah. are starting to, to kind of have uh, stronger narratives recognised and identified and celebrated by the mainstream. Yeah. Um, that That's happening in speculative fiction. But still, yeah, as you say, the majority of kind of science fiction fantasy stories looking at the future imagining what the future would be uh kind of written by and starring white people because Mm -hmm. they control the 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 uh, the the narrative frameworks as well so Mm -hmm. this is an opportunity to change that narrative yeah i'm hoping the sort of influence that it will have is um just by sort of having this space and holding space within those sort of projections of future um we'd be able to like infiltrate and you know know, represent ourselves but also um infiltrate the representations and actually make a well we already are making a future for ourselves but essentially yeah have that <laughs> how many artists are involved in the exhibition that uh you and uh is Kalyani have yep. co-curated yep so there's 12 artists involved um we have six inside the exhibition um and we have six outside um I have involved two members from FAFSWAG, a queer Auckland collective. Um, They work around voguing and video and uh, photography work and I've been big fans of them for a while, so I'm really excited to be working from... uh, Sorry, with them. Um, We have my own group, uh, New Wayfinders, which is a uh, queer-centred Pacifica um, art collective. Um, Also, Kalyani has contributed some work to it um, through her uh, project outside of this, Willow Beats. Um, They're, you know, on the come up at Triple J and the playing festivals and I think they've 
they submitted their own work called Be Kind to Yourself, which is a music video. Um, it's really exciting. It's got a lot of like installations around the video as well. Um, Benji Ra, a favourite of mine, um, based in Sydney, and she is a dancer, but um, Indigenous Filipinx, and her work is these giant sort of three, to, three metre wide by like two metre tall silk prints and they're just amazing sort of looking into iconography and um yeah just projections of iconography and tying that into a diasporic understanding of futures um hannah bronte who i've seen before um in her work called still i rise which was part of Boy just last year um she's submitted a video such portrait series um called pisces king um which is beautiful featuring a fijian uh another fijian her partner actually um and then jermaine dean's work who you've seen um probably in the event and some of the invitations which is amazing photography um it's featuring uh sorry it's a collaboration series and the face that you would have seen on the facebook event is um rosanna raymond's face and it's a startling image <laughs> it's it's awesome <laughs> yeah 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 kind of uh, in terms of kind of like saturated color and the intensity and mm. instantly you couple that image which if you go to if people go to black dot com dot au b l a k black dot dot com dot au you'll see that image and it totally kind of says science fiction it, <laughs> it kind of uh is a First Nations image. It's kind of mm. kind of strong and 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 striking. So yeah, kind yeah. of. It's interesting, kind of, just from a marketing perspective, how people choose what image is chosen to represent an image, and in this case, it's one that really kind of captures the the spirit and the sense of the image. Mm. So, yeah, I feel like um, there's a sort of a lot of empowerment by reaching back to our ancestors and you know working with elders and, and ideas of who we are from past, present and future, sort of moving beyond the linear understanding of time and realising the circular, circular, like understanding of time and projecting our ancestors forward and recognising that we're all part of that story. So I just thought it was a great sort of visual sum up of what I wanted to achieve with the with, with the show. Expression, yeah. yeah. And that notion of kind of tapping into time and mm. uh, kind of cultural knowledge and tradition and so on is, again, a really nice kind of theme to explore in art when you're thinking about kind of about the future. Um, the, the idea that, again, as kind of society evolves and changes, uh, cultures who have a greater sense of connection to to land, to environment, mm-hmm. to spirit, to uh, to kind of, to ancestor, bringing that into the future and embodying it, yeah. kind of again a nice way to to not change the narrative, but mm-hmm. to bring certainly different perspectives into a narrative. Yeah, hopefully influence the narrative as well. I think um, especially when I think about, you know, and the environment and being able to care for our lands and waterways and having that as an aspect of futurism, you know, so that hopefully we can make actions towards it. I think that's super important. <laughs> How challenging was it for the two of you to co-curate this exhibition? Because often kind of... With exhibitions and, and speaking to, to curators, often the things seem mm-hmm. to go either one way or the other. Either kind of like 
you, there's only a small number of artists you work with and sometimes they're not available and it's a, it's a struggle. Yeah. Or there are so many artists you want to work with and you can't work with them all and it's yeah. a struggle. Which was it in this case? It's kind of been a balance. Um, we we had a few interests and then because we were organising it around Christmas time, um, you know, including on myself, we had a few delays and having to sort of like rush towards getting it together like post new year um celebrations so um the whole thing was a rush um but it's really sort of smoothing out now and um I think we had the right amount of artists fill the space, especially with some of the works, well, Benji's in particular being massive. Um, the space is filled out in a way that feels, um, it, it just kind of flows together. Yeah, with the themes as well, it's it's really exciting. Yeah, and we've also got the billboards outside that Kalyani um, was in charge of herself and um, that's featuring uh, my co-founder for New Wayfinders, Daisy Catterall, um, founder of This Mob, um, Kate Tamburin, Sean Miles, also part of New Wayfinders, um, Sean van der Mullen, who performs as Miss Blanks, and then Peter Wobblesgrove, of course, which is... Uh, and, sorry, Tama TK Shaman. So we've got amazing visuals on the outside, which I'm really excited for, and then on the inside it's popping. And, yeah, it's been awesome working with Kalyani. I think she had the visuals from the start. Just getting her on board was, yeah, easy. <laughs> Good to hear. If you've just tuned in, we're talking about an exhibition that's on as part of Midsummer Festival called Black Queer Futurism uh, on at Black Dot Gallery in Brunswick from tonight and I'm chatting with the co-curator, uh, Alec Reed. Now, Alec, as uh, was Black Dot Gallery your immediate always going to be the place you wanted to, to put this exhibition on? Because I know you've been involved with the Footscray Community Arts Centre uh, yeah. through their Emerging Cultural Leaders Program. So yep. were you torn at all going, oh, Black Dot or Footscray, Black Dot or Footscray? It's uh, it's pretty lucky because um, I'm working at Footscray, so that's always there. <laughs> um, and I'll have an event with them soon um, called Coco Kalapu, which is like a showing of Pacifica arts. Um, so that's always there, and I'm really excited to be working with them again. But I was actually really lucky because... Um, Kimber Thompson, who uh, runs Black Dot Gallery, actually approached me and um, said, hey, like, do you want to do my midsummer, you know, festival show? And as soon as that came up, because it's my first curatorial job, I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. It's going to be one big party. It's going to be beautiful. Um, and she's been a major help. She, yeah, honestly holds up many communities, Indigenous communities, and also the artists that feature there and the curators too. So, yeah, um, I was chuffed to work with her, chuffed to be at Black Dot Gallery. I think it's an amazing institution. Yeah. yeah. It, in a, a pretty short space of time, kind of like under a decade, it kind of like it, mm. it's become a really significant Indigenous-run kind mm. of uh, representation space for Indigenous and, and First Nations representation mm. as an art space and, and, and performance space as well as gallery. So, yeah. yeah. Um, now, you just said that you kind of this is your first curatorial gig and it's going to be a big party. Has it been a big party or has it been a pretty, a pretty steep and stressful learning curve? Uh, a, a bit of both. You know, when, when you get um, people agreeing to submit work, it's like, hell yeah, and then you have to actually work your butt off to try and, you know, make it all come together. Um, and I guess what party isn't stressful when you're setting up for it as well? <laughs> so I'm hoping tonight goes off. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, there's nothing worse than throwing a party and standing around going, what if no one comes? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I know that feeling. Okay, so uh, the opening night of Black Queer Futurism is tonight at Black Dot Gallery, 33 Saxon Street, Brunswick, and then the exhibition itself runs through until the 4th of February as part of the Midsummer Festival. You can find out more by going to www.blackdot.com.au. That's B-L-A-K, blackdot.com.au. And uh, you can also jump onto the Midsummer Festival website for more information as well. Uh, Alec, thank you so much for coming in. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure. Now, I've been uh, easing my way gently into my kind of year of artistic delight so far. I've only seen three shows. All of them have been at Art Centre Melbourne. And yet I've managed to miss the show we're about to talk about. Um, <laughs> La Vie dans une marionnette, uh, Life in a Puppet, is a show from uh, a mob called White Face Crew. I'm joined by the, one of the co-founders of the group and a cast member in the show, Jared uh, Rawiri, and I've just mangled that badly hey, because... Hey, no, that was good effort. Okay, cool. <laughs> Maori is not a, a, a language I'm familiar with. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Yep, no, that was really good, yeah. Cool. Well done. Okay, uh, gold star for me. Uh, but now we'll <laughs> talk about you and the show. So th- is this kind of... Uh, is this a children's show? Is this a show <clears> for <throat> adults and children? What's the kind of tone of the piece? Um, so, yeah, so the version that we've brought to um, Art Centre Melbourne is, uh, as, as it's being... Um, uh, advertised uh, a show for family, um, but I can tell you about the starting point for it. It, um, it was a show that uh, I mean, all the work that Whiteface Crew make um, is uh, for us, basically. So the artists. So we we try and make shows that we would want to go see in the theatre, and also that make us laugh and make us feel things. And funnily enough, it feels accessible, even though we we always try and put um, some kind of moral. Uh, strong mor- morality in it, and and have uh, adult themes in the show. So, uh, but for this version, we've we've actually taken out a, a, a scene that we normally have in the show that um, you know that shows some some uh, uh, well the the a, a character um, really wanting to kind of escape, and so he takes a, he he attempts to take his own life. But um, in this version, we've we've made sure that we um, cater for our younger people because you know they need to um, be looked after and kept safe. So um, that ha- that came about because we were picked up by a children's festival in New Zealand. Um, they the the artistic director really loved the show and its and its adult version, um, but he was a little bit concerned about uh, one of the scenes. Um, now, in the adult version, we don't actually see the acts of her, the character taking his life um, because at the end of the day, it is mime. <laughs> so we don't see any of the materials, but we did, um, yeah, we did have to take into consideration. Now, this is the second time the show's been in Melbourne because it was on at Urimboy Festival That's right. last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in a quite a short blink and you'll miss it run. That's Could right. Have, I blinked and missed it, so I'm going to have to try harder this time at the <laughs> yeah, Art Centre. No uh, so, And it's a story about a lonely pianist and a puppet who he kind of buys to, to keep him company. That's right. And then what essentially takes on a life of its own. That's right, yeah. So, yes, we have this character, the pianist, um, 
very uh, particular and um, isolated. Uh, it's revealed in the story why he is this way. He's very closed off and does, uh, doesn't like people necessarily. Um, and he has this uh, obsession with puppets, and um, that's revealed why he has this obsession. Um, so, yes, so he has a puppet delivered to him, and it is life-size. Now, you've been involved with um, this production kind of pretty much from the start. I have, yeah. yeah. And I, I've been looking back at some of the, the earlier reviews of it, for, for example, from uh, 2013. Yeah. It's one of the earlier reviews I found of the show. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is the first show that the White Face crew has done in a black box, basically, in the theatre. So we started out... So the, the yeah, so Tama Jarman, Justin Hayu and myself are the co the founders of the group um, but we actually started the starting point for the Whiteface crew was we did a show called The Arrival by a, a graphic novel based on Sean Tan. Tan's novel yeah so we worked with a company called Red Leap Theatre in New Zealand and we did this big show for The Arrival but in rehearsals we found that we had this kind of really natural play and and interest in a type of theatre that we're all interested in and um, so one day uh, Tama who plays the pianist, turned up to work and he, he really loved this piece of music that he'd heard from Jan Tiersen, um, who's the uh, composer for Amelie, and he wanted to learn it on the piano. So he's, there was a piano in the rehearsal room and he started playing the piano. And Justin, who is the original puppet, um, for this season we've got a wonderful uh, mover and performer, um, Chris Ofanoa, involved, but Justin, who was the original puppet, he started moving along to... Uh, the piano that um, Tama was playing. So that that is essentially the starting point of La Vidan's Un Marionette. And then they did a 10-minute version on the sh- Short and Sweet Festival that happened in Auckland. And they ended up taking out the wild card prize because it was very unique. I mean, it was a complete mime show. So they were all in whiteface and there was no dialogue and they just... That had really stand out in a short and sweet <laughs> yeah, program. It did, yeah. it did, yeah, yeah. So there's all these wordy plays, 10-minute plays, very, um, you know, a stock standard play and then these guys turned up in full whiteface playing the piano and being manipulated by music. So it was really unusual and, um, and what happened was I was, I was uh, asked by Tama... He said, oh, you know, um, is it okay if I put your name down as director for this festival? And I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. So I saw the show and then we decided, hey, let's, let's, let's flesh this out a bit and, and uh, make it a full, you know, an hour-length work. So then I started to wear the hat. And, um, and also uh, not just directing but then performing. And you play the moon? I play yes, yes. There's and a, also a delivery man. Yes, I think. yes. Yeah. And I also play an usher. Uh, so I've got a couple of roles. Yeah, I've, I've managed to uh, weasel myself in there. I was like, I feel really ex- insignificant in this <laughs> piece, so I'm I'm just going to give myself a couple of roles. Bloody actors and their egos. <laughs> I don't know. Now, yeah. speaking of acting, uh, you're appearing in the the New Zealand soap Shortland Street I am, at the yes. moment, which kind of uh, is kind of. Uh, how long has that been running in New Zealand? 25 years. It had its 25th anniversary last year. 
Yeah. yeah. So for an actor, having any kind of regular work is always a great thing. Yeah. Does, a, does acting in a soap then also give you more opportunity to express emotional range, given that soaps can be full of heightened drama at the drop of a hat? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So um, especially in Shortland Street, it's, a, it's pretty groundbreaking in that the writers uh, are not afraid to tackle any issue. So um, last, so I'll, I can talk a little bit about my character, Mo Hannah. He's the patriarch of this um, f- family that's uh, you know uh, struggling to to make ends meet, and um, so this is what the family looks like. I've got a, a gay son who who's a who was a star rugby player. I've got a uh, his older brother uh, who has been in and out of jail, um, was a street fighter, and his. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's street fighter and he's just come out of prison. Um, I've got a wife who is now my ex-wife because she stole money from Shorten Street Hospital, um, so, and she's in prison. Um, and, but no, she's just recently come out of prison. But I've got a girlfriend now, uh, so there, yeah, there's lots of drama. <laughs> Traditional oh, soap setup. Also, I've forgotten my uh, my daughter who passed away from cancer. So. Uh, there was some. There's there's a bit of an emotional range there. Absolutely. So, uh, as well as Shortland Street, you've done a range of other TV, have, yeah. um, including the Almighty Johnsons, for yeah. example. You've also worked with uh, Taika Waititi. You've done yes. a, one of his short films yeah. and stage acting as well. Um, yeah. And the fact that you've been what you've done Angels in America, for example. So yeah. Kind of everything from kind of in and which is a, an intense bloody show. It's big, so, yeah. Through to kind of this family friendly show as well. So clearly you enjoy the challenge of uh, kind of expressing your range in a role in, in a range of different roles. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. I really, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't like to settle, I guess. Um, and oh, it, it gives me, it gives me different um, um, joy, I guess, all the different types of um, roles and opportunities that are, uh, are given to me, really. I mean, we're pretty lucky in New Zealand in that we have some really brave leaders and, and people in the arts arena that that want to go, that want to do plays like Angels in America, that want to do um, Shorten Street, that want to do uh, like like Taika, make amazing work, you know. So we're really lucky in that we've got these amazing cultural icons <laughs> that are coming out of New Zealand at the moment. And so. also some really interesting kind of theatre, like a really interesting theatre culture as well. The yeah. uh, the National Play Festival in 2016, which moves around the country here, mm. was in uh, Melbourne two years ago, and we got to see this kind of series of showcases of uh, uh, kind of plays out of New Zealand, and I was immediately going, I think I want to see all of the. I don't just want to see these standalone scenes, I want to see kind of yeah. the plays in themselves. Yeah. How health, from your perspective as an actor, how healthy is the theatre sector in New Zealand? Uh, at the moment, really strong. Yeah, there's there's a lot. Of, so we've got a lot of uh, a new generation coming through that really want to. So the so kind of the underground, which is the basement sort of, uh, which is a special theatre that that caters to um, kind of alternate um, theatre, but but really specifically um, new young voices. Um, is going really strong. With they, they're they're making a lot of people are going through there, and, and a lot of new writers and a lot of new works and a lot of new groups of people getting together and making stuff. And then we've got our established companies that are that are you know doing all the all the big shows that are you know doing the doing the rounds internationally, but they're also try really desperate to try and um, build up our. Um, Kind of our our our, our mainstay uh, writers and and artists. So, 
um, it seems pretty. Yeah, it feels pretty healthy. I mean, and but it's also you know they it is still theatre, so we are still trying to muck in and and work together as a as a as a family. You know, uh, it, there is still not a big money to to be offered, but. Um, you know, everybody's just going for it, yeah. It's yeah. really healthy. Well, it's great to also then to see a New Zealand company bringing work over to, to Melbourne as well because from talking to kind of a uh, theatre friend, often kind of there's a lot of Australian artists who go over to New Zealand to perform at the Fringe Festival circuit over there. Yeah. We don't seem to see as many New Zealand artists coming back kind of uh, across this side yeah. to perform. So great to see that uh, Whiteface crew are on at Art Centre Melbourne with their show La Vie Dans Une Marionette, Life in a Puppet, which is on until the 20th of January in mm-hmm. the Fairfax studio at the Art Centre. You can book at artcentremelbourne.com.au. Tickets are $35 for children or under 30s, 25 There's also a booking fee. Runs for 55 minutes. It's a family show, uh, so we'll appeal to young and old. And uh, to quote one of the reviews I found, uh, rules for having a good audience experience. One, laugh heartily. Two, cry sorrowfully. Three, give a standing ovation. <laughs> That's from a, a review of La Vie Dance in Marionette uh, from back in 2013. So I think audiences who go and see it are in for a treat. Jared, thank you for coming in. Yeah, thank you very much, Richard. An absolute pleasure. And uh, given that you mentioned Jan Tiersen, I thought we might hear a track from him. Oh, beautiful. Ella Caldwell, who's the artistic director of Red Stitch Actors Theatre. Ella, how are you going? Hey, I'm great. Thanks, Richard. Nice to have you in. Lovely to be here. You launched the company's 2018 season last year, uh, by which stage I think I was already on my kind of uh, six-week break from radio. So haven't had the chance to catch up and talk to you about what's in store for 2018. So give us a bit of the overview. Is there How do you approach, to begin with, before when you're approaching an, in, an entire season rather than just programming one or two shows, how do you go about it? Do you have this huge whiteboard with kind of like, things constantly being moved in and out depending on availability of director and actor and do you really want to do this show at all and if you can't get the right people etc how do you how do you program a season well it really it really comes down to the plays um, before any scheduling or anything's taken into account and then I kind of move the plays around that we really want to do in order to make the scheduling work. <laughs> That's kind of and, and it's we just read so many scripts which is a, a great privilege but when I say we it's I, I source and seek out a lot of them and sometimes people send me things and then we read them collectively as an ensemble as well. So then there's this big debate and that sort of, do we really want to do this one or this one? That happens in person with about 15 of us sitting around in the foyer over an extended period of, you know, weeks. So ensemble meetings in the evenings and they go for four hours and we we debate the merits and what makes us kind of aggravated by like what we want to, what we want to kind of investigate further and, and, and we have fights about it in in a good way. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah. That notion of fighting about it in a good way it must be particularly both kind of 
enjoyable and frustrating. If you've got two plays by different playwrights perhaps exploring a similar theme, for example, mm. and so then kind of like the ensemble, half of them are for this play and half of them are for, for that play, those kind of conversations must be kind of from an artistic point of view, kind of discussing the kind of the, the merit of the play, the language, the style and so on that they're written in in order to make a case as to which play actually gets programmed. I'd love to be a fly on a wall for that oh, discussion. Oh, yeah, it's really, they're really fun and they do get heated sometimes. I mean, I guess once you get to that point where it's like, oh, this one or this one, that's when you start to go, okay, well, in terms of the overall shape of the season, what what have we already kind of got represented and what how can we um, provide a, a real journey throughout the season as well as doing doing plays that are very, um, that, that are making us passionate, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that's... That is kind of the fun of it. And also then you start talking about directors and sometimes there's there's a director that is interested in a certain play that I'll say that to the ensemble and that'll be the icing on the cake and they'll be like, oh, great, well, if that person's going to direct it, we want it, (laughs) you know. Well, let's talk about some of the individual plays in the season, starting with uh, the first cab off the rank, um, which is a play very much of the moment uh, and by a playwright who's really a kind of a creative hot property at the moment, Taylor Mack, who was here in Melbourne last year as part of Melbourne Festival with uh, the 24-decade history of popular music. Um, Taylor has written a play here, which was spelt H-I-R, which is a, a word that is kind of combining elements of him and her, uh, staged at Belleville last year to rave reviews. I didn't get up to see it, but I really wish I had. Um, and as I say, very much at the moment, because it's a play about transitioning, the transitioning political cl- uh, landscape, the transition of kind of, uh, of class structure, the transition of gender changing families after trauma and so forth. So, yeah, very much kind of like a a hot-button play and one that I think a lot of people are looking forward to seeing. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Yeah, I mean, you've absolutely described it beautifully. It is a play of transition and, and it, transitioning and it's and it's a roller coaster in, in that it is, um, it is sort of... It's of course got a great deal of humour and, and heart in it, but it's it it just kind of takes you to the highs and lows and um, of of some of that that experience and it's 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 beautiful and I think it's really interesting that it's such a hot property at the moment because I read the play back a, a while ago I, I first heard about it, I think it was twenty fifteen it premiered um, over in the United States but I I couldn't get access to it and then I couldn't get the rights for last year for various reasons. <laughs> And then obvious reasons. And then I I found that when – and Dan Clark came to me and Dan has had a relationship with Taylor for a lot of years as well as a, as a creative producer and, and seen Taylor's work. So it was it was really a, a beautiful thing for Dan to come with that play and say, do you know this play? I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And, and then when it happened, when it did, it kind of felt like the right time because, as you say, Taylor being out here for the festival means that I feel like the reach may be even further because more people are kind of aware of Judy's work. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very, very exciting to, be, to have that gift. And Dan is, of course, very in conversation with Taylor a lot about the production and that's wonderful as well. Yeah, and it's also being staged this year over in Perth. It is. Kind of at, uh, at Black Swan. So, yep. yeah. So, again, I'm kind of looking at my, my, my budget going, I wonder if I can get 
get over and see both productions. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it's probably not going to happen. I'll do wishful thinking. Oh, but, well, you'll have yeah. to make do with us. <laughs> I, I've already booked for opening night. Oh, so, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Great. I'll see you. So, uh, so that's the first play, uh, which is uh, Taylor Max Here, which is directed by Daniel Clark and being presented as part of the Midsummer Festival. Next is uh, a new Australian work by Lachlan Philpott. Yes, so Calder is... Now, it has had a Sydney season and it's um, the, the Victorian premiere and that is an instance. I mean, we I've been aware of and read and a fan of Lachlan's writing for a long time, but we've also worked a number of times with Alison, the director, um, in the past and those two work beautifully together and have a, a real sort of ongoing artistic conversation and relationship and... We've never worked with the two of them at Red Stitch. So when we started talking about that, it was it was very exciting to kind of say that was an instance where the ensemble were, were also really, um, really kind of inspired by the idea of Alison doing Lachlan's work at Red Stitch. Yeah. So that's uh, Alison Campbell directing uh, Colder by Lachlan Philpot, which... Um as seems to be in keeping with a lot of Lachlan's writing, I understand uh, this is a play inspired by a true story. Yes, it is. Yeah, about of a missing person um, that he actually that he actually knew. It's a beautiful work. It's and it's it's a choral work. It's very poetic um, and very very moving. Yeah, um, and kind of Lachlan also a playwright who's. I mean, whose work I very much admire and he's got another play on this year that I also interstate that I also want to try and get up and see uh, this time up at uh, the Merigong Theatre Company are doing as well. So uh, I, yeah, I, I'm not going to be able to travel all over the country all year going to see theatre productions. I really wish I could. I feel like I need to set up like, like I a, think it's a, good goal. A, a patron account or something yeah. like that. So uh, fund Richard to jaunt about the country kind of willy-nilly seeing shows. But uh, I'll just stick with what's on in Melbourne. Um <laughs> Okay, uh, what about, uh, kind of what, what else have we got in terms so, of new international work? Okay, so international work we've got, um, the next play is Right Now by Catherine Anne Tupin, which is, she's a French-Canadian um, playwright, and that'll be directed by Katie Maudlin. And Katie was our graduate director last year, so we have the graduate program that we bring in uh, graduating actors and directors all year, and she's, she's terrific and she's sort of worked actually she's worked, she's worked around the world quite a bit and we've she's very passionate about the play when we were reading it so we programmed it and Katie went Ella if I can oh I just what? so she did a pitch for the play um and I talked to a number of people and she's um she's directing that one and we're really excited they've actually they're actually doing uh sort of pre-rehearsal rehearsal in a couple of weeks just to have a little first read which is exciting it's a beautiful kind of wild wild, very sexy work that is is very surprising in what it reveals at the end. Why is Katie so enamoured with the plays and, and the, the play and the playwright or just this particular play? Um, well, I don't know that she's read because it's a translation. So I don't know that she's read anything else by... Well, she may be doing so for research, but bef- when we first read right now, I don't think she had read anything else um, of, of Catherine's. So I guess... It's the play itself and she could speak to that but I think something that I really love about it is the the journey it takes you on is is sort of quite um, flamboyant and fun and, and a bit shocking at times. But then the, the truth of it, you kind of think as you're reading it, you know what the play is going to be about. And at the and in the end, it's not. And the voice that it's kind of representing is um, is one that we don't hear very often. Uh, and the protagonist um, is is I guess it's surprising what we learn about the protagonist at the end. So I think it's it's always when you read something that you go, you don't really you don't really hear about that from that perspective very often. It kind of 
strike something in you and very strong female protagonist. So I think that might be part of it for Katie. Uh, next up is uh, a new play by Joanna Murray-Smith, which is having its Victorian premiere as well, yes. Fury, yeah. which you're directing together with Brett, Brett Cousins. Yeah, Brett and I have begun this little partnership that seems to be going... I think we shocked everyone with how well it went, considering how much we argue at ensemble meetings. But we did um, Incognito by Nick Payne last year and that, that was a really, uh, really great creative process so we've I mean we've kind of we read Fury a while ago and Joanna's been working on the script as well I mean we had a wonderful wonderful time working with her on American Song last year um, which Tom Healy directed and and Brett and I this play is one of those plays that fired up the ensemble for hours because it's really it's it's a really provocative topic and Joanna has reworked the script there was a season of it in Sydney quite a while ago at STC but this is essentially a very different play um, in terms of the focus and kind of how hard it's pushing into some of the topics. Um, now, it's about kind of uh, it's a middle-class conundrum uh, might be one way to describe it. Uh, the, the parents who are bringing up their son dutifully doing the right thing and then uh, he comes uh, kind of into trouble with the law having vandalised a mosque. Mm. So kind of already you can kind of see the traditional family drama kind of... But, tapping into something very contemporary yeah. in terms of Islamophobia and so forth in our society. So yes. it uh, And I get the feeling this is going to be, to a, in some ways, a prickly and uncomfortable work, particularly, I'm sure, for all the parents in the audience going, we're trying to raise our child right. Oh, God, oh, God, what if we're doing... Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is prickly and uncomfortable. And I think that the one of the strengths of it is that Joanna um, absolutely uh, gives credit to the audience in terms of how intelligent the debate is from both sides and how rigorous both of the conversations are and she's you know been in conversation with a lot of people for advice around that as well I know but it's um so it is it it is going to be prickly it is uncomfortable it's nerve-wracking but it's that's I mean art should be should be nerve-wracking sometimes shouldn't it? it should it kind of I mean if you want a nice safe comfortable evening out there are other shows to see yeah um uh, but yes so if you want some if you want to be needled kind of in your seat and and if you want to question and interrogate it sounds like a good play to see Red Stitch have uh, done a few well have certainly done uh, Annie Baker's work uh the flick before, have yeah, you? and we actually introduced Annie Baker to Melbourne with um, with the Aliens a few years before that. So we've got a long-standing relationship with her. So the Antipodes is uh, is terrific. It's not quite as long, not quite three hours like the flick was, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's an extraordinary, finely wrought work. Uh, and you know, the the setup sounds quite simple. It's it's there's a big storm and there's a writer's room and everyone's trapped in the writer's room and they've got to come up with the idea for the best new story but what it investigates through that is is quite profound and um again very of the moment you know it's really it's largely about who we listen to whose voices we listen to and why and who's we ignore and i love the fact that kind of perhaps like the flick as well it's in that kind of meta theatrical narrative of telling stories about stories and who has the right to tell them and and yeah so that should be fun um before we talk about the the other couple of kind of works in uh, in the season, obviously, uh, if you've just tuned in, I'm talking to Ella Caldwell, who's the artistic di- director of Red Stitch Actors Theatre. We're going over the 2018 season, which was announced late last year. Um, you're doing something cheeky towards the end of the year, Ella. You have a secret project. 
Yeah. Kind of. Now, the last time a, a company, a Melbourne, a Melbourne theatre company, um, uh, kind of had a, a secret project, it was because essentially you, by the time the program went to print, they hadn't quite signed off the rights for a work. Oh. Um, now, uh, why have you got a secret progr- project, an unannounced project? In Is it, again, just a case of kind of like, well, we can... Are you really trying to build up interest and be something, program something at short notice that can be of the moment or is it just a case of... Kind no, of- no, it's the first one because we, you're right. It's because we... It's because we we used to program six months in advance, for instance, and so we could really keep out, you know, we could keep responding as the year went on. And so that's one part of it, that kind of ability to go, you know, we're not going to lock everything in over 12 months out because we like to be to be quite responsive. And there are a number of things that I'm, I'm reading and considering um, as potential, but also our ink program. Like we've got LAM programmed for the end of the year, which is one that we'll talk about in a minute, by Jane Bodie, which is developed through ink, which... Uh, you know, we, we've been producing a lot of our ink works. Last year was Desert 6.29pm and um, The Way Out. So we've been doing doing that a lot and I like to make sure that there's also room in the instance because these, these new Australian works, they take time as well. So it won't necessarily be one of them but were one of those ready prior to 2019 and ready, then that would be considered. So it's it's really about being able to allow a bit of flexibility moving into the the second half of the year and for instance that's where um we programmed last year when we had a a surprise slot or a mystery slot we had um we didn't initially program american song by joanna and it enabled us to kind of have the conversation when it needed to happen and get that happening so it's I, i think it's it's in part so that we don't lock everything in too far in advance but um, no, there's not one thing that I'm biting my nails over, <laughs> although that happens all the time, <laughs> all the time. Uh, now, uh, Abby Morgan's love song uh, is in the mix as well and this is the Australian premiere. Yeah, and love song. We did Splendour a, a couple of years ago, um, which which was a wonderful experience. She's a beautiful playwright. And um, the exciting thing, well, there's a lot of exciting things. Gillian Murray's coming back to work with us, which we're thrilled about because um, it's been a few years. And uh, we're working with a cellist and an original composer on that work because the piece does have a lyrical element and we'll be, um, we'll be working on stage with a cellist each night to, to sort of link the less literal elements of the work. So that's something very exciting that I'm looking forward to doing. I think music in and working with text and theatre is something that I, I've been enjoying a lot of hmm. lately. And then speaking of music, the final show is... is um, Lamb. Lamb. Yeah, with uh, music and lyrics by Mark Seymour. Yeah. And the impression I get is that it's this is not a musical. It's it's a play with music, which it seems to be coming its own kind of sub-genre. Genre, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, a play with songs. So in that the songs do kind of further the, the story and they express something that... that can't be expressed in that way just through through text or um, through other elements of the performance. But, yeah, it's not it, – it's written into the text. It's not kind of all the text is sung or anything like that. So, and, and it's really exciting. That actually came about because our playlist event that we do each year, we introduce musicians and playwrights and Jane and Mark did a playlet based on one of Mark's original songs that he wrote for a couple of years ago for a playlist and they just they just – Sparked something just happened for them, and they both wanted to talk about the same things. And so then we we programmed the or developed the play first, and um, 
and Mark's written a whole bunch of original songs for it and Jane's sort of been integrating those as she goes and they've been working together. So that's really very exciting to have that coming to stage. And as I say, it, it really does seem to be coming. It's kind of a genre or subgenre of its own. I mean, the MTC has done, uh, a couple of years ago did What Rhymes With Cars and Girls, which was yeah. kind of a, a play with songs. More recently, Eddie Perfect's Vivid White up in Sydney, Barbara and the Camp Dogs, kind of, again, it, not a musical but a play with songs. And so it, it's fascinating to see this kind of genre evolve almost before your eyes. I first came into contact with um, David Greg, a Scottish playwright that we've done a few times, Midsummer Play With Songs, and the same thing. It, it was the, And it was... It was it was quite new to me at that point. Um, it was quite a few years ago, and it's quite exciting because it allows you kind of to dip right down into the, whatever style of playwriting you want to have, and then kind of break break out in these moments that that are still of the world. But um, yeah, it's a really it's really interesting. I mean, I really loved enjoyed Cars with Girls. What kind of rhymes with Cars yeah, with Girls and well, as well? So I really I really like the genre if that's what it is. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we've just heard about uh, what's on for Red Stitch in 2018. There are always, of course, other events happening. There is the kind of uh, the annual playlist fundraiser at the end of the year. There's kind of writing programs and all the stuff that happens behind the scenes at a theatre company as well. But uh, if you want more info about the Red Stitch 2018 season, jump online, redstitch.net, or I'm sure you can pick up a copy of the brochure the next time you're in the theatre or at a local cafe, milk yeah. bar, kind of, in my case, laundromat. Um, <laughs> yeah, all those yep. places that you usually pick up info about what's on around town. Ella Coldwell, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you and so much. Richard. Just before you go, given that here uh, the first show of the season is kind of opening at the end of the month, um, I know they're already in rehearsals. Have you been eavesdropping, dropping in, keeping an eye on? How, how does it look? I have been. It looks great. It looks great. It looks actually like a, the physically it looks like a mess because the house is the house is a wild mess, the one that it's set in. But it looks great. I saw a first run uh, yesterday or the day before of the show and they're just, the actors are just tremendous. Like they're doing extraordinary work and it's very exciting. So I would book quick. We're already actually selling very well on that one. So getting quick. So uh, here uh, by Taylor Mac, directed by Daniel Clark on from the 30th of January till the 4th of March. Really can't wait to see it. Ella, thanks for coming in. Thank you, Richard. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.